The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Uh. Check it out now. Uh. No doubt now. Uh. It's the Leading the Book Podcast. Gil Alexander. Part duh. Part two of Chrissy Andrews today. We gave you part one on Monday. The audio version of a whole bunch of story times put together. This is maybe even better today, if that's even possible. Great collection of stories today, not often told. Some of the uh, more obscure stories, one of which I think might be the most underrated of all of Chris's stories, a tribute to his book, Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada, story time with Chris Andrews exclusively on the Beating the Book podcast. Enjoy. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Yes, he is. It is a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Gil Alexander, even have the, uh, the T-shirt rocket today on that. Uh, one of those idiots who believes in analytics today. Not much about analytics at all. In fact, nothing at all. It is part duh of Chrissy Andrews on the show telling stories as promised on Monday, we did a whole show on Monday. Um, it's not B-sides. It's not a step down for you Stevie Wonder, fa- uh, Stevie Wonder fans out there. It's like going from Songs in the Key of Life to fulfilling this first finale. If you're a Billy Joel fan from The Stranger to 52nd Street, it's not a drop down at all. It's just another, great of, uh, another set of great stories. Um, and then tomorrow on the show, uh, just looking ahead, we got Bill Krakenberger, Mike Palm, Todd Wishnet, Brent Musburger later in the week. But let's do it. It's from his book, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada. It's called Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada. We welcome back in our friend, the director of the South Point Hotel Casino Sportsbook, my mishpucha, Chrissy Andrews. Good morning to you, Chrissy. How you doing? Oh, hanging in there, Gil. You know, staying busy. Actually, uh, I'm not that bad. I told you yesterday I'd make a great prisoner. I'm okay, you know, just sitting here by myself. I'm fine. That's right. If you committed a crime and they sent you to jail, they'd be like, we can't break this guy. He's so comfortable. Yeah. 
<laughs> just give me my books and the internet and you know an occasional movie and i'm fine yeah i'm okay man yeah, they cannot break you uh listen we are lucky to have you by the way did you get to hear roxy from uh thailand yesterday and rufus uh who had tested positive they you know I, I well i had texted rufus the, the other day just to see how he's doing sounds like he's doing okay i think yeah. I, I slept in yesterday i didn't get a chance to uh, listen to yesterday's show but uh you know a couple of my favorite guys in this business. And, yeah, we we're all worried about Rufus. You know, geez, you know, uh, he actually came down with the disease. But it sounded like he got through it okay. Yeah, he's good. He's all good. We're happy to have him on and happy to hear from him. All right, Chrissy. Uh, again, then one day, 40 years of bookmaking in Nevada, wherever books are sold, it is available. You told some great stories on Monday. Uh, these are ones that aren't as told. Well, some aren't as told as often, but you got a great one to start with this morning. Yeah, you teased this one the other day, so I feel we might as well start with this one, uh, the Max story. And uh, this was when I first started at Cal Neva. So I was young. This is, you know, 1981. I was 25 years old. And, uh, you know, when I look back, you know, it was probably a little bit of a mark, you know, uh, running running a sports book, running a race book. And, you know, I'd, I'd been around a little bit, but I was only 25, you know, so probably, you know, guys were definitely taking shots at me with the uh, – you know, different propositions, just, just all kind of stuff, you know. Anyway, one of them was this guy Max, and he was uh, a horse player, he's pretty, pretty big horse player. He'd come in every day, and he just started talking to me. We got to know each other a little bit. And after like, it seemed like a couple of days or maybe a week, something like that. Told me he was a hitman for Meyer Lansky. Now, <laughs> guys out there who don't know, Lansky was probably the number one. Uh, Jewish mob guy in the world, and he had connections. Matter of fact, if you look at the, if you watch Godfather Two, Hyman Roth is modeled greatly after Lansky. Uh, and so he started telling me this stuff, and and I'm thinking, well, why would he tell me this? You know, and he actually told a couple people. Now, it's one of those deals where I, I didn't know whether to believe him or not. I wasn't sure. There's definitely an edge to this guy. He, he, there, there was something going on there. And I knew a guy, uh, you know, an older guy, he's no longer with us, but a, a, a much older guy who at one point in time had been a bookmaker for Meyer Lansky, was you know, connected with Lansky. And, uh, and I, I called him up and I explained to him the situation. And, uh, you know, and he listened, he said, well, the guy doesn't ring a bell. He says, I, but this guy had been away from Lansky for, at this point in time, 20, 30 years at least, probably more than that. He says, I, doesn't ring a bell. I don't know. He says, but it sounds like the kind of guy Meyer would use. And I just remember the last words before we hung up, be careful. Okay. Jeez. So anyway, things happened. And, yeah, we started yeah, like courting me, I guess, in some ways. We went out to dinner maybe once or twice and had lunch. And we'd have a cup of coffee uh, together. And, uh, you know, it, it just went on. We became, I would say, friendly, even if we weren't friends. We were certainly friendly. And uh, so at one point in time, he was, I, I guess he was going bad in the horse. and says, you know, he needed $800. I don't know where to come up with that figure. Can I help him out? He says, I got some money coming in. You know, the next day or two, and I'll, I'll give it back to you when I get it. And, uh, you know, if I have 800 bucks, I'm like, mm, you know, I mean, I had it, but, you know, at the time I was a pretty young kid, 800 bucks was a lot of money to me. 
But I said, yeah, sure. And I gave it to him. And uh, what do you know? The next day, it just he disappears. Now, <laughs> when, when, he, when we were together, we both kind of liked the same girl. And he went after her hard. And she, she picked me. And it was like, I mean, listen, he's as human as anybody, of course. Yes. So there's like a little bit of uh, resentment towards me because uh, I wound up marrying this young lady. Uh, but, you know, so I married his girl. Now we weren't married yet at the time, you know, but, uh, yeah, we were definitely an item. We were together. So anyway, he disappeared. I, I was not that surprised, just a little bit maybe, but, uh, you know, slightly surprised. But uh, he just vanished one day. And I didn't see him. This probably went on for about, Maybe, you know, about a month or so later, maybe six weeks later, I, I asked this young lady, uh, was my first wife, Sharon. I said, yeah, you know, we had a day off. I said, let's go down to the track. Let's go to Bay Meadows, um, you know, for the day. So, you know, we go down to Bay Meadows. We're in the turf club. And uh, as we're sitting around in the turf club, um, around the corner, here comes Max. <laughs> now, I, I've been around enough to know that you don't like it, 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 you don't want to challenge these guys but you don't want to let them step all over you because if you do let them step all over you they'll really step all over you so i i see him and i say, i got to say something to him and i say hey max how you doing i'm still i'm with sharon you know and i just look at her and i just go take a walk you know and i'm thinking to myself i don't know what's going to happen here i i mean i was definitely scared and I'm thinking the last thing I need is for him to kill her. That's the last yeah. thing I need. And if he does kill me, I really don't even want her there to witness it because who knows what would happen after that. But I was, no doubt about it, I was scared. You know, and I, and so, I had forgotten uh, about the Matt, part. I had forgotten about the, uh, I had forgotten the part, Chrissy, that she, he actually liked her at one point. That, I, that detail I had Oh, forgotten. he liked her a lot, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he liked her a lot. So that was... Uh, that was another thing that, again, made me, let's just say, a tad uneasy, to put it mildly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, I said, yeah, so she she leaves, she goes, you know, and I, I said, Max, uh, you know, where, where are you been? I said, well, I got shot. Now, <laughs> again, a little backstory here. Max was like a little powerful guy, and... He was one of those guys, you know, I swear to God, in all these years, I've never seen anybody that could gain and lose weight like him. He'd go on the latest crash diets, and he'd lose, like, 20, 30 pounds, like, in a matter of a couple of weeks. And then, like, within days, it seemed like he'd gain it all back. He was one of those guys. Always had, like, a weight problem. And he was a little guy. He was only about five foot four, I'd say. You know, so it would really show up on me. So I asked him where it was. I got shot. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I've been in the hospital for a month. I said, really? Okay. I says, well, congratulations. And he looked at me and says, well, what are you talking about? I says, well, you're the first guy in history that went in the hospital for a month and gained 30 pounds. And he started <laughs> laughing. So at that point, he starts laughing. I'm thinking, okay, I don't think he's going to kill me. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, like I said, we talked a little. I says, you know, Max, come on, man. You know, I... I I treated you pretty good. You know, am I going to, am I going to see that 800 bucks or what? He says, well, you know, he says, kid, you know, you really did treat me well. Uh, you know, I, you know, we were friends and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I did this. And, uh, you know, I, I think, 
uh, you know, I'll be up to Reno in the next, you know, couple of days, a couple of weeks, and, and I'll make it good. He said, I don't have it on me now. I was in the turf club betting horses, you know, said, but I don't have it on me now. I said, okay. I said, all right. I mean, how, how far is I going to push this, you know? So, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, we, we kind of shake hands. And I'm thinking, okay, I got through that one. That, that wasn't so bad. Uh, at least I, I kind of made my statement. And uh, let's just say when I counted myself down every night, I didn't include the 800 bucks. So I had a feeling I would never see it. So anyway, uh, you know, time goes on. Uh, and it's probably about a month or so later. Naturally, I, I hadn't seen him. And back in those days, uh, this is 1981. So back in those days, you know, guys don't realize, say, we get the out of town papers. There, you know, there was no internet. There was nothing like that. So try to get as many out of town papers as you could, uh, and try to just read up on what was going on in the world of sports. And Reno was actually in a good position. We got the San Francisco Chronicle every day. We also got the LA papers. Uh, you know, we get the Portland and Seattle papers, which were dead two papers at the time, both very good. You know, occasionally we get a Utah paper. We got the Las Vegas papers naturally. So there's guys who had great little newsstand in downtown. You know, I'd go in there every day, and uh, the guy was actually a better of mine. So hey, I'd get all the papers every day. And usually with all those papers, I would just read the sports section and just throw the rest away. I didn't have time to read everything else. So this one day, for some reason, I got to the San Francisco Chronicle, and I, I for whatever reason, I just started reading the whole paper. And I get to the, the local section, so the local San Francisco Bay Area section, and on the front page, there's a murder in a motel parking lot in San Mateo. So I look, Max Kirshner was murdered. Somebody put a shotgun to his neck, pulled the trigger. He died, I think, on the way to the hospital or shortly after he got to the hospital, they declared him dead. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know. So there's definitely something going on with him. So that story. Right next to that story, in a totally unrelated story, was a picture of Meyer Lansky, who was either being indicted or was in depositions or something like that over God knows what at that point in time. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way this is a coincidence. <laughs> Somebody at the paper knew something or suspected something. And and again, right then, I started getting the creeps. Well, first of all, he was dead. And I, you know, listen, despite what happened and all that, I still kind of liked the guy. You know, whether that right. was foolish on my part, it easily could be. But I, I kind of like the guy. You know, so I, I read the story. You know, I mean, this is not how most people die. You know, you don't, you're not going to your car at a motel in San Mateo and somebody comes up with a shotgun to your neck and pulls a trigger. That's, you know, there's something going on there. Yeah. And then you have the, the Lansky story right next to it. And I'm thinking to myself, Gee, you know, and to this day, I, I don't know how much of it is true, how much it isn't. But, Gil, I know you did some Google work while we were on the air when I first told this story. Yeah. And there's things like, I think on his tax returns, he put, you know, uh, mafia muscle man or mafia, <laughs> mafia <laughs> yeah. hitman or something like, like He was that kind of a guy. I mean, he was a total nut, you know. And, is- and he wrote a couple books. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Gil, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm saying the first time that you told this story on the podcast, the Beating the Book podcast, I was 
I was Googling while at, towards the end of this story because I couldn't believe this story. And it got into like some yeah. microfiche images where that was yeah. what was revealed. We actually I actually did some here. First of all, before I even show this, what we found, um, how long after you had contact with him did this did you read this newspaper? Was it a year? Was it at six months? Like, what was it? You have the newspaper right there? Well, we don't have the one that you're talking about, but here on January 24th, oh, okay. and Kelly, you can throw this up, January 24th, 1982, uh, this is from the San yeah. Francisco Examiner, and as you point out, this is sort of, it's not on the front page, this is in the California section, I guess they used to have a California section okay. of the uh, San yeah. Francisco Sunday Examiner, and the name of the uh, piece is called Boasting, quote, Hitman, unquote, slain in San Mateo, known for temper. That was the that was the title yeah, was of the not, article. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, known for temper. Would you like to be known for your temper? Uh, and next to it is an image of a book, Joey Kills by Joey. So all the while, Max, who was a hitman, also wrote books under the pseudonym Joey. Um, and so there's a there's a picture of that. By the way, uh, part of this article reads, and it's really small on VEASAN.com and the VEASAN app, but I'll read it, I'll just read a little section of it, which says, um, Joey, in quotes, because that's again what he wrote the books as, was not the type of man to argue with, <laughs> except you were just, you were just smacked on girl. <laughs> yeah. uh, his 215, his 215 pounds on a five foot five inch frame were pure muscle. Now yeah. here's the part you'll enjoy. As his literary agent, Richard Curtis of New York, said, quote, he became so hostile when you sounded skeptical, it was better to believe him, <laughs> unquote. Uh, the comment was echoed by David Fisher, the man who helped Joey write his books. Uh, the New York freelance writer said he remembered uh, Joey. He remembered having dinner with Joey. And uh, with a few of his friends in Los Angeles, Fisher said one of his friends asked Joey, what would you say if I told you I didn't believe you? And Joey, this is from the article here in the San Francisco Examiner, again, January 24th, 1982, right after his death. Joey picked up a fork, known as Joey, but this is actually Chris's Max here. Joey picked up a fork, leaned across the table, and shoved it up against his friend's throat. I'd say to you, say it again, Fisher quoted Joey as saying. <laughs> By the way, the previous day, United Press International, UPI, as those of a certain age will remember it, uh, the dead man's brother, Morris Kirshner, said he, he was surprised by the killing, uh, quote, or said he was not surprised by the killing. They actually have an omission here. Quote, I just figured his time was due, he said. <laughs> That's your, yeah. but now imagine, I can't imagine you must have been, what like after you read all this, Weren't you sort of like, wasn't that chilling for you? Well, yeah. And I think when I told <laughs> you the story the first time, I think I remember telling you, God, my heart is beating. Because I didn't tell that story to too many people over the years, you know. But I could feel my blood pressure rise, my pulse increase. And, uh, you know, I was probably in a cold sweat the first time I told you that story on the podcast. But like I said, if he would have killed me that day, when I was in Bay Meadows and saw him and, you know, I don't want to, yeah, you know, confrontation is not even the proper language, you know, yeah, but when no. I saw him that day, 
I wouldn't have surprised me that much. I mean, I was I was prepared, like you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen here, and I was very happy. Now the, the the you know Sharon was not my wife at that time, so this happened in January of '82. So I only met him like in June of '81. So this all wow. happened within like six seven months. You know, so this was you know wow. happened rather rapidly, but yeah. I, you know, confronted him over 800 bucks, made a joke about his weight and, uh, stole his girl from him. I think he said he killed 50. Yeah. I think he said he killed 53 people. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't 54. Just let me put it that way because I might not be here to tell those stories. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I look back and yeah, sure. When I, when I saw some of those details, uh, you know, he stuck a fork at some guy's throat. Not surprising at all. Not <laughs> not the least bit surprising. He was that kind of guy, and he could fly off the handle in a second. So it was 5'5", five, five, and what did they say, 215? 5'5", five, five, 215 in, in that article. Yeah, but as you said, his weight fluctuated. Yeah, probably from the, the last from the, time. Yeah. Yeah, from the, UPI art, from the UPI article uh, from January 23rd, 1982, as you point out, Kirshner claimed to have murdered 53 people. Uh, his literary agent described yeah. him as a very funny, very colorful character who sported taps on his, pa- on his patent leather shoes and wore – and I'm curious if you remember this – wore an elaborate ring on his left pinky – <laughs> elaborate ring, uh, not just a ring, an elaborate one. Yeah. He said that in 1972, so 10 years earlier, he was so taken with Kirshner's stories that he had arranged for a ghostwriter to collaborate uh, with the self-styled hitman on a book. And so for those who are interested after this show, perhaps to, to read, <laughs> read more about it, the name of the book, and you can actually, I think, buy this if it's in stock on Amazon. It's called yeah. Killer, yeah. Killer, the biography of a mafia hitman written under the pen name of Joey Black. And... If I'm not mistaken, and I have not watched this yet, but I think this morning when I was doing just a little extra uh, Googling on this, I think there's a video of Max talking about this. Don't hold me to that. It might be his literary agent, but there's a YouTube clip about this as well. So, I mean, this is some serious stuff. And again, Chris Andrews here, 38 years later, uh, lucky to be here because (laughs) you said, um, I've never seen anybody gain so much weight in the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, I look back and I don't know. I don't know how he let me get away with that without sticking a fork in my neck. I I really don't know, you know, but, uh, but I, I, like I said, you know, I I hate to say I did kind of like him. He was very personable. He's a funny guy, you know, but I wouldn't have been that surprised if he, killed me or tried to kill me at least, you know, the, the figuring all these things that happened uh, along the way there. But unfortunately I'm here. So, yeah. but the other thing you know, I wanted to mention, you know, yeah. the, the cops never came and questioned me or, or anybody account me either. And that, I mean, I'm starting, you know, that, that's a, I would figure I'd probably would be a suspect, you know, I don't know if I, I mean, I, you know, you know me. I'm not going to kill somebody over 800 bucks. You know, but I'm sure. Right. Why wouldn't they even come and talk to anybody? You know, I'm. I'm you know, obviously they didn't, uh, they didn't. They didn't care that much. You know, so as 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 someone who has spent most of my adult life in the Bay Area, I uh, I'm not surprised yeah. by that police work. Let's just put it that way. Glad yeah. you're here with us. Uh, a classic <laughs> story, and glad you're not victim number 54. Imagine he's like, yeah, f- a 53. Like he counted. Uh, the guys that he uh, murdered. We we assume it's all guys. Uh, Next story coming up actually involves 
one of your longtime friends and uh, fraternity members, bookmaking in uh, Nevada, Nick Bogdanovich involved in the next one. It's a shorty uh, coming up again, the name of the book, Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in the State of Nevada from Chris Andrews, available where all books are sold. Uh, telling stories all day long, a special edition of Storytime right here on the Numbers Game at VEASAN, the sports betting network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Back on The Numbers Game indeed, live from San Francisco. At least I'm in San Francisco. Chrissy back in uh, Nevada, back in Las Vegas, uh, telling the stories once again from his book, Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada. We can flash that up on the screen uh, whenever available where all books are sold, including Amazon. Uh, maybe in the South Point gift shop when it reopens. We don't know. Uh, we'll see if it's restocked. Uh, this one is a uh, a quickie, but involves Nick Bogdanovich as well, Chris. Yeah, this is uh, when Nick and I were working at the Golden Nugget together. And, uh, you know, every day about lunchtime, we'd go and take a walk around town. And one of the things about downtown, at least back then, and probably coming back too, uh, a lot of different sports books in town. You know, so it was like kind of a great, uh, way to you know shop for numbers, and we usually walk around see all the other sports books. We we go out of the Golden Nugget and we walk up to uh, El Cortez, and I can't I, I can't remember if they were part of the South Point yet or not. They might not have been, but for a while they were like a satellite of the South Point. And so but anyway, we go up there. Uh, we went to the Fremont, which was a Boyd property. Uh, we went to uh, Union Plaza, which I think at the time was Lucky's. I think. They had a sports book, and we go to Fitzgerald's, which was a Leroy's. You know, so we we kind of make the rounds, just kind of looking at numbers and seeing what was going on. Talk to the guys behind the counter, that sort of thing. So we go into Fitzgerald's, uh, which this is the D now, by the way, owned by our good friend Derek Stevens. Uh, so this was Fitzgerald before Derek bought the place. And we go in upstairs, and I think it was our last stop before we're heading back to the Golden Nugget. So we go in and, uh, you know, we're talking a little bit and then we're going to head out and I, yeah, yeah we're going to go hit the bathroom before we uh, walk back to the golden nugget. Okay. So we walk into the bathroom and there's like five or six guys crowded around a stall. Now we walk in there. Oh, I'm about, I'm about maybe 48 or so at the time. I think Nick's about seven years younger than me. So he's 41. We're the youngest in there by like 20 years, <laughs> you know, it's probably in the whole place, you know, <laughs> they walk in there, there's all these, and they look at us like, oh, oh here's these young studs, they'll know what to do. Like, okay. they, we look at us, they look at us like, hey, we're, we're, what the hell's going on? They said, we're trying to get the door open. We we think this guy's dead on, on the toilet. Oh, Jesus. You know, so we kind of help him, you know, shimmy the door open. We get it open. We look inside. Oh, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead on the toilet. No wonder right, he looks at dead. me. Just, you want to give him mouth to mouth recitation? <laughs> no, I don't. But if you do, feel free. I, I, I'm not going to do that. You know? <laughs> so, uh, what do you think? We should, I, said, well, I think you should call security is what you should do right now. I'm surprised you haven't done it already. You're waiting for me and Nick Bogdanovich to walk in to rescue this guy. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Anyway, that's just a quick story, but one of the one of the tales of downtown Las Vegas back in the yeah. day. So it was uh, a bit, bit of, a, bit one of, of those. a theme here, Chris. Kind of a weird one. Yeah. Bit of a theme of murder. I'm sorry. Murder. 
This, there's a bit of a theme of murder here so far. Murder heroes. Yeah, I'm not sure this guy was murdered, except maybe his uh, high cholesterol diet, something like that, was probably uh, yeah, his, uh, his uh, life choices, I think, murdered him more than uh, a guy like Joey Black, I would say. So, uh, yeah. anyway, just yeah. a quick, I know we come up on this segment pretty quick, so that's just, that's just a pretty quick one, but uh, just one of those things. And I, I guess I shouldn't be laughing, but you know, the guy was an older gentleman. Like I said, I was in there, I was 48 years old at the time. I was the youngest guy around for like by 20 years. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's uh, still tragic uh, if you're the guy, but, but it's just one of those weird stories in Las Vegas that uh, I'm sure it happens elsewhere, but it sure it seems like it happens in Las Vegas more often than than uh, other parts of the country. I would probably not in Beverly Hills. That's probably not what's going to happen. You go into the restroom at the Beverly Hills. Probably not going to. I was going to happen. Say, I was going to say. Uh, I was going to say, Chrissy. That was. Uh, that's the Hard Rock every weekend about a decade or two ago. Uh, ah, <laughs> in the back. In the no, I'm kidding. Um, by the way, I brought up uh, murder. You won't be Angela Lansbury for the rest of the show. But do you ever hear the 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 Pat Summerall John Madden thing when they used to when Summerall used to promo murder? She wrote at the end of the at yeah. the end of a football game on a Sunday. They they were getting so they would drink a lot. The two of them. Spoiler alert. Um, and then they decided to have a bet between each other to crack each other up that every time at the end of the show or at the end of the game as the game was winding down, Summerall would try to make the, the gap between murder and she wrote longer and longer. So it got to the point where by the end of the season, it would be like coming up, except for those of you on the West Coast, 60 minutes followed by Angela Lansbury and murder. She wrote that kind of that kind of thing. Anyway, no more murder. Oh yeah, more remember stories from Chrissy coming no. back on a numbers no. game. Then one day, forty years of bookmaking in Nevada. On the way back, right here at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. It is a numbers game right here at Visa, the Vegas Stats and Information Network, brought to you by the BetMGM app. It's Gil Alexander, uh, live from San Francisco today. Chrissy Andrews on the phone. Uh, and for those just tuning in wondering, oh, they're just telling stories all day. Uh, this is the sort of, you know, the version of story time that Chrissy used to tell on the Beating the Book podcast, all sort of condensed into one show. We'll put it in podcast form uh, later in the day as well. Chrissy, uh, from murder to honor. This is about one of your mentors in the business. Yeah, this was uh, this is a story about Warren Nelson, who who was the guy really who hired me at Calneva, and uh, you know, without Warren, without the Calneva, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, a lot, lot of kudos to him. Uh, there's a lot of Warren stories I have, but this one's my favorite. I wasn't there for it, but uh, so I can't vouch for the. The, the absolute truth of the story, but I can vouch for the truth that this is what Warren told me. I could tell you that. So well, I guess let's just get into it. Warren was one of those guys grew up in Montana and uh, Warren's passed away. Now if he was alive, he'd be about 110, I think. So, you know, just uh, go back and uh, subtract the when he would have been born, I guess about 1910, something like that. So grew up during, uh, you know, the early years and, and lived through the depression, that sort of thing. So it really was the wild west back then. And sometimes Montana is still a little bit like that. Anyway, back in the day, Warren would tell me there's all kinds of stuff going on in Montana. Uh, a lot of Chinese immigrants, they, they like to gamble on an awful lot of things. And, and actually there was a lot of charlatans around there and Warren learned to, to deal to like deal blackjack poker or whatever 
And he also learned a lot of magic tricks with cards. And he did some for me, like right in front of my eyes. And I mean, I'd be like, you know, two feet from him. And he'd mix a deck, mix a deck, mix a deck. Boom, here's the ace of spades. Holy crap. He makes the deck, cut the cards, boom, here's the ace of spades. And you're sitting there like he's right in front of you thinking, holy crap, how does he do this? You know, but he, he could do those kind of things. And as a 21 dealer, he could also deal you from the bottom of the deck or whatever to give you any card he felt like giving you. He's sure. one of those kind of guys. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I'm sure there's some of them around. Not too many anymore, I would hope, but uh, they're still around. Anyway, so this was back. I, I, I Cal Nevis started in 1962. Now, there was originally two places: the Cal Neva, uh, right on the state line, up at uh, uh, in Incline Village in Lake Tahoe, and there was the Cal Neva in downtown Reno. So I think they had split by this point, and it was just the Cal Neva in Reno. And uh, Reno, for those folks that don't know, can be extremely seasonal. Uh, if we get a bad winter, a lot of people can't come in from the Bay Area, which is the big feeder market. They can't get over the hill. Um, it's about a, you know, I, I think about an 8,000-foot pass you have to go over uh, to get into Reno from California. And especially back then, you know, the, the road crews weren't nearly as good as they are today. So a lot of times in the winter, Reno would, uh, you know, really be pretty slow. This was one of the, this was one of those years. And Cal was just getting started. And they were coming up uh, their first year in business without the lake, and they weren't going to make payroll. Uh, they they were struggling, and they had expenses, obviously. And uh, it was coming up, and they they you know these guys they didn't know what to do. Into the joint one night came Pappy Smith. Now Pappy Smith and his son Harold owned Harold's Club in Reno. Now Harold's Club was really a pretty happening joint and uh, for those who remember probably guys my age or even older there was signs throughout the west uh about you know x amount of miles to to harold's club in reno x you know i mean it was really kind of uh uh you know pretty good marketing plan and that was the thing harold uh pappy's son was really the casino guy and he started the company he started the casino and pappy uh, came in and Pappy kind of almost muscled out his own son. You know, Pappy was not a casino guy, but he was a great promoter, which he really was. And Pappy was quite the character. I think he was married five times. And uh, even like some of his ex-wives, when they, when they got, you know, a couple I know that were very sick late, late in their life, uh, Pappy took care of them, you know, financially. Uh, so he he, I mean, there's a lot of good and bad with Pappy, as with most of us. Very hard to just say he was a good guy or bad guy or whatever. But he was definitely a promoter and uh, that sort of thing. So he was a very colorful character. So he's at the Cal Neva, and he comes into the Cal Neva, and this is during the wintertime, Cal Neva sweating whether they can make their payroll or not. He comes to the blackjack table, buys in for 30000 Now, Like I said, this is early 60s. You know, 30000 is a pretty healthy buy-in nowadays. What was a fortune oh, yeah. back then? So he buys in for 30000 Warren moves the dealer off the game. He's going to deal himself <laughs> to Pappy Smith. <laughs> Again, something you won't see nowadays, you know. So Warren starts dealing to Pappy. Well, 
lo and behold, Warren starts yelling from the bottom of the deck, or you know, however, however he did it. I really don't know, but you know, slowly but surely, he gets Pappy for the thirty thousand. Now Warren would tell himself, he'd say, Pappy knew what was going on. Pappy knew he was being cheated, and never said anything. Warren Warren said Pappy must have known that we were in some desperate straits, weren't going to make payroll, and he and even though they were right down the street in a competitor, Pappy let it go. Knew he was getting did cheated. They, did, decided, did they have a previous yeah. relationship, Chris? The two of them? Well, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Yeah, because that's the way Reno was. You know, certainly a very small town back then, and. Uh, you know, a lot different than Las Vegas, the downtown Reno, uh, a lot of little casinos, but you know, some of them were very profitable. I mean, that, that these joint made a ton of money. Harold's Harold's club was really one of the first, uh, no hotel or anything like that, just the casino. And that was, that was another part of the market around Reno at that time. All the motels filled up. Uh, the hotels weren't all that big until much until later Harris came in and built a, a big tower and all that. But before that, it was really all the motels. So Pappy loses the 30000 and walks out and doesn't say anything. Almeva makes payroll, wound up being very profitable, very, very successful. Warren and all the owners became very wealthy. Tell I don't know what, how, much let's, long, how much long... Let's, let's bookmark that story right here because i got to squeeze in one break. This is a okay. good place to, to sort of take okay. that break. Uh, and we'll get back to the conclusion of this story. We'll tell some other ones. Again, for those just landing on the show today, just in the in the time that we are in, in these strange times of the coronavirus, something to distract you uh, from your self-quarantining and from the uh, just sort of odd situation that we're all in these days. Some stories from back in the day, from then one day, 40 years of bookmaking in Nevada, from Chris Andrews. We'll continue in moments at VEASAN, the sports betting network, right here on A Numbers Game. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. It is The Numbers Game. Gil Alexander back here on the show live from San Francisco. Chris Andrews, kind enough to join us for the full two hours telling stories. Story time with Chrissy uh, today on the show. Um, before we get back into the Warren Nelson story, uh, because it was an interesting point where you left off, I have to say it's a beautiful day. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful day here in San Francisco. And I have to tell you, Chris, this is the part of quarantining that is that is not – I don't think enough is made of. When the weather is terrible – I think everybody's cool on staying inside. When it gets beautiful like this, it's amazing. It's amazing. And think about it. Like in comparison, Roxy was making this point yesterday, how little we sacrifice this. We're just being asked to stay on the couch and watch Netflix, right? But when it's nice like this, I'm telling you, there's going to be tons of people running outside. It is, it is tough. It goes against our nature, even though we know that's what we're supposed to do these days. Oh yeah, like I, I think you and I talked yesterday that our parents, our grandparents, uh, you know, fought in wars. Yours uh, escaped the Holocaust, um, and the sacrifice we have to do is wash our hands for twenty seconds and stay inside. You know, so amazing, uh, it's amazing. Small potatoes compared to that, you know. Small but, uh, potatoes. But so this is a very serious crisis, and and we yep. can't, uh, you know, we have to take care of ourselves to take care of everybody else uh, around us. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, just a quick right. wrap up. 
please. A quick, a quick wrap up of that Warren Nelson story, just very quickly. So Warren beats the guy out of thirty thousand. He swears Pappy Smith knew what was going on, but you know, at a, some time later on, I don't know if it's six months, a year, two years, I have no idea. Warren wasn't specific about that, but he told me after Cal Neva was born, like I said, they became very, very successful. He took thirty thousand over the out of the cage, and he went over to Harold's Club. And he, you know, purposely blew the thirty thousand back to Harold's club, back to Pappy Smith and his son Harold. And uh, I said Harold was actually the casino guy, but of course Harold knew what was going on. And just on the way out, Warren just kind of nodded to Harold. Harold nodded back, and uh, that was the end of it. He, honor, your audio, honor, your audio, guys like honor that. for sure. Your your audio dropped out for a second. He did it playing blackjack. He just purposely lost it on blackjack. What? How did he lose the money again? Yeah, he went over to play blackjack and purposely lost it uh, playing blackjack. And Warren was pretty good at blackjack. He was pretty good at all those casino type games, you know. So uh, wow. for him to lose thirty thousand would not be uh, you know, a normal thing. But he went over and purposely lost it back to Harold and Pappy Smith. So you know, good on Warren for being a man of honor, which he was. Yeah. Uh, again, something you couldn't imagine a casino conglomerate CEO doing with another one uh, no. today. At least, no. yeah, <laughs> just just wouldn't happen. Um, all right, but this uh, I wanted to tell tell this one too. You haven't told this one in a long time. Oh, really? Okay. I hope. I love. Well, obviously, one of our favorite stories. Uh, this was back in the day at County, even. And again, I think it was 1982. And uh, one of the things we were doing at Calneva, we tried to have year-round parlay cards. And, uh, you know, we, I tried to argue with Warren to not do this, you know, but he insisted on it, and we did it. So we had parlay cards even through basketball season. It was one of those deals where he'd put out some numbers. We'd make the card, like, on Wednesday or Thursday even. And by the time Saturday and Sunday came around, some of those numbers were really stale. And it was a very playable card. Uh, with a very slow hold percentage, but that's what Warren wanted, so that's what we did. Anyway, one, uh, this is one Saturday. Um, we had this guy who was, uh, and every sportsbook manager in town has at least one guy like this, probably more, $5 better, and he's always betting, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight teamers, and he's a total pain in the ass. Uh, Chris, I bet over on this game. Can I change it to under? It'd be halfway through the parlay. You'd have an eight team or four in, and he'd want to change it. Chris, can I get listed pitchers on this parlay? So, I mean, just, <laughs> uh, whatever it could do to just be a pain, oh, that's what he would yeah. do. You know, and this guy was Psycho James, we called him. Man. And he wasn't Psycho, he was actually a nice guy, but he was, you know, definitely had some some issues. Uh, anyway, start coming up and every, this was like really a daily occurrence to go through this, you know, every day, every day. So finally I got tired of dealing. I said, I said, James, I would love to do it, but Yolanda won't let me. Now Yolanda Luna, <laughs> who's been in this business about as long as I have, is at the Mirage. Matter of fact, I saw her about a couple of weeks ago and we still laugh about this story. I said, I would do, and Yolanda kind of ran the back room. She ran the race book. She handled all the computer stuff, all that sort of thing. And 
that with Tom James. I would do it, but Yolanda just won't let me do it. It's not on me. It's on Yolanda. Oh, oh, oh. So Yolanda, she's the big boss. Yep, Yolanda, she's the big boss. If I could do it, I would, but Yolanda just won't let me do it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So this would go on. He says, Chris, I know I want to change this ticket, but Yolanda won't let you do it. Oh, no, James, I would love to. Personally, I would do it in a second, but Yolanda <laughs> just won't let me do it. So, so we had a, our sports book and race book was separate at the time. And Yolanda, all the computers and everything were, were over in the race book. So Yolanda was working out of the race book and she'd come through the the sports book every now and then. And as she would come through now, James used to wear a hoodie. Now this is back in the eighties. Hoodies were not all that popular and certainly see them a lot today, but they weren't around much back in that day. Well, he would like cinch up that hoodie and he looked like Kenny on South park, you know, <laughs> where you could just barely see his eyes and he scrunched down in the chair. I mean, he was just an abject fear of Yolanda, just fear of Yolanda. And Yolanda didn't even know this guy existed. <laughs> she could care less. Like I said, the guy was a $5 better. She never had to deal with him, of course, because he was scared to death of her. And not, I had to do it every day. So how is she going to know about this guy? You know, and there, but there'd be psycho James. And we would just laugh when Yolanda would come through. We'd say, what? Watch James, watch James. And he since that, I mean, it was just so funny, you know? So anyway, now this is back, like I said, early eighties basketball on TV. And, and like I said, kids these days don't understand it. I mean, you, before then, you used to get like one game on TV on a Saturday, maybe two. And that was about it. But now with the advent of, you know, ESPN was showing games and the USA network was showing games. Plus we were getting, uh, you know, local broadcasts on the satellite system, uh, all that sort of thing. Uh, so there was a lot of games on TV. So this was one of those days. And, and James bet a $5 parlay card and it paid a thousand dollars. You know, so the odds were, what's that, 200 a month. Man. So James has a $5 coin. He's got seven in. He's got seven in, and it's going to the eighth game. Now, the games were all in the morning, and then the, the eighth game was, uh, I think, a 5 o'clock start, so 8 o'clock back east. So here he comes, Chris. Chris can I? Can I void out my eighth game? Can I void out eighth game? I'll just take the you know five hundred or whatever it is. No, James is not. Now he's got he's got all this. He got a thousand. He's got a five dollar red. He got thousand dollars running on his last game. He wants to void the ticket, or he wants to get somebody to to back him so he can hedge the last bet. You know, nobody's going to lend James five hundred dollars for him to lend to, to you know hedge his last game. He couldn't come up with any. So now the game tips off. He's got to sweat the game. And I pretty I went back and looked, and I think I I found the game. I think it was Connecticut versus uh, Syracuse versus Connecticut. This was a great Connecticut team, or big great Syracuse team that had um, uh, Leo Routens, Eric Santafer. You know, go back to like that era. I think that's the game. I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I think it might be. Anyway, Pearl Washington maybe uh, on those teams. Yeah, I think it's a little before Pearl Washington. So anyway. <laughs> you know, so Syracuse is blowing them out. They're blowing them out. And, and James, he starts strutting. 
He starts stressing. He's running around the sportsbook. And for those who know, the Waterino guys probably listening, the county of the sportsbook was big. It's a big sportsbook, probably about the size of, of the South Point, you know, sportsbook. So pretty big. He starts running laps. He's got the ticket in his left hand, holding it up. He's got a rolled up newspaper and he's hitting himself on the butt like a jockey whipping a horse. And running around the casino, running around the sports book, holding the Chris, Chris, a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars you owe me, a thousand dollars. Tell Yolanda that. Tell Yolanda that. And now he starts running around and he's hitting himself, and that's the chance that he's made. Tell Yolanda that. Tell Yolanda that. Well, who comes walking through the sports book at that time? Yolanda. And she's like looking, like, what the hell is this now? Because you've never said, told her I've anything. I've been throwing Yolanda. Oh, no, no. And like I said, I've been throwing her under the bus for months. <laughs> you know, she has no idea. You don't know who this guy is. She doesn't know I'm throwing her under the bus. Nothing. Well, now I got to fess up and tell Yolanda really what's going on, what's happening. And she just looked at me. Like that. She was probably mad for about half a second. But after that, we just started laughing. And like I said, to this, and I had I, she was at a dinner with me a couple months, a couple weeks ago, and we did, we told the story again, and we both still crack up at the sight. It's burned in your memory of him parading around the sports book, you know, slapping himself on the butt like a, like a, a jockey whipping a horse. Tell Yolanda that. Tell you, and there's a couple of us work there that are still in the business, and we still. If I ever say tell you along to that, that'll just start laughing right away. Yeah, it's just, and so it's, psycho, it's, psycho it's James won his site. bet. Psycho James won his one thousand dollars. James won his bet. You know, as yep. you know, Chris, I, yep. I worked with uh, Jay Root for. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, and of course, James started betting two three hundred a game, and by the next Saturday, he was back to five dollar parlay. So. <laughs> That's, of course he was. I used to work with Jay Root, as you know, at MGM. And he one day casually was like, yeah, my assistant yeah. Yoli. And I was like, Yoli, you mean Yolanda? <laughs> and I, I went up to Yolanda and I go, you're Yolanda. And she couldn't understand. She had no idea what was going on. And I hugged her. Tell Yolanda sure. that. Uh, she was amazed by that. We'll come back. More stories from Chrissy on a numbers game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. A numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. It is the numbers game right here at Visa the Vegas Stats and Information Network. It's brought to you by the BetMGM app. Gil Alexander, live from San Francisco. It's our new San Francisco offices uh, here at Beeson. Chris Andrews with us uh, for two hours talking about his book, Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada, telling some of the stories that are included uh, in that book. Uh, later this week on the show, tomorrow, Bill Krakenberger. No time like uh, these days to do a profile of Bill. I always get to talk to him every week, but never really get to get into his origins in betting, and we'll hear his story. Mike Palm and Todd Wishnev on the show tomorrow. A little uh, Megapod reunion. We'll hear from Mike Palm how everything is affecting Circa, what they've done to sort of, uh, I don't know uh, what's the word, but to protect themselves these days uh, from what's going on. Uh, with the coronavirus, Todd Wishnev, with how it's impacting his life. Uh, and then Brent Musburger later in the week, Ron Flatter, Vinny Maliulo, 
Uh, thank God yesterday for uh, Rufus Peabody and Roxy Roxborough and Mike Lombardi. Michael Lombardi was fabulous yesterday uh, for an hour. So, of course, uh, he's a great guy that we'll have on time and time again through it all. Talk NFL free agency and the draft, of course, approaching. Uh, but we're lucky to have Chrissy not once but twice this week uh, to hang out with us for an extended period of time. Uh, Chris, another hour of stories. Let's keep them coming. Uh, this one. <laughs> This one is a is an oldie but goodie. I love we we title these when we send them back and forth to each other. Like what we're gonna what we're gonna actually talk yeah. about. This, this one is simply called. Well, I won't even say because it's kind of the punchline. So I'll let you tell. <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so this was 1987. <laughs> it was a Sunday night game, and uh, for those who remember back then, so this was the Bears and the Vikings. So the Bears were two years removed from that 85 team that a lot of people think they're one of the best ever. It's certainly one of the best defenses ever won the super bowl and easily I think wound up with one loss all year. Anyway, two years removed from that. So they're still a great team. It's certainly not what they once were. Minnesota was a terrific team this year, but this was the strike year and Minnesota of all the teams really kind of blew it during the strike because they had three strike games and they all counted in the standings and they used scab players and Minnesota kind of, and they admitted afterwards, they never took it seriously. They didn't think there would be games. They didn't think there'd be anything. So they were totally unprepared. So they were kind of fighting for their lives to make it into the playoffs. Uh, Cause they blew all three of the strike games. So each game, once they, once the players came back in and what have you, each game was really almost like a playoff game for them. So it was a huge game for Minnesota, who was good, not a great team, but a very, very good team that year. I think, matter of fact, this year they lost on the uh, to the Redskins uh, with a pass that Darren Nelson dropped in the end zone. Yo, you probably remember that better than I do. I, I was at that game. Anyway, I was I was at that game at okay. RFK Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the reason that that's significant yeah. that the Vikings didn't take those scab games seriously is because contrasted with the Redskins, who did take it very seriously. Bobby Beathard and Joe Gibbs yeah. coached up those players. Movies have been made about the Redskins scab team and the NFC championship ended up being Minnesota at Washington, largely because those scab games all counted. So, yeah. Yeah, that really was, it was significant. You know, Minnesota really blew it, you know. Anyway, so this was, they were playing a Sunday night game against the Bears, and the game was right around Pickham. You know, that was pretty much the number around. It was going to be an intense game. Anyway, we had this one player, and I called him Ben. I don't want to go into too many details about him, and you'll see why kind of at the end. Uh, But he would come in, and this guy, I mean, he had big, big money. And it was about as big a degenerate gambler as you ever met in your life. Uh, back then, like I said, we, we didn't have the Dawn Best screen. We, we didn't have anything. And half times in basketball were, you know, practically unheard of. There were, there was a few around on some big games. And I remember he came up, uh, he, he, he came into the Calneva and he says, Oh, I'm late getting here. I'm, I'm, I'm late getting here. UCLA and BYU was on the TV and he said, can you make me a halftime number? I said, well, no, I, you know, no, I, I haven't really been watching it. I, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. He said, I'll tell you what, make me a number and I guarantee you a $30,000 bet. 
well, okay, I'm not going to turn that down. You know, so, <laughs> okay, I come up with a number, and there he goes. He bets me, you know, I mean, listen, I'm getting 11, he's getting 10. So he bets me 33,000 and win 30, and I can't remember which side he had, but he did lose that game. But anyway, the guy was really a pretty good handicapper, uh, and he was also a big player in the pit. So this is a whale that we landed at Calneva. Uh, but a lot of guys like that, they really like coming to Reno because you know, if they went to Vegas, they, they were a big fish in a big pond. If they came to Reno, they were a monster fish in a small pond. And this was this guy. And he loved to have his butt kissed and everything else. So you know, we treated him like gold because he was a huge player, both in the pit and in the sports world. Anyway, he comes up one weekend. Uh, this is for that during that Minnesota game. There's a cashier's check for 275000 and it's kind of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth over the weekend. So come to the Sunday night game, he's pretty much like dead even. Well, he wants to put the whole 275000 on the uh, on the game. Okay, well, yeah. he goes, well, I want to bet, I want to bet the, the Vikings, you know. And at this time, I always said, you know, I want to bet 200000 on the Vikings. And I know what he's going to do with the other 50. I know he's going to come back at halftime and bet the Vikings. Cause that, he was never a guy that would have hedge, never, ever. So I said, I would tell him, you know, I, you know, I'll let you play, but I got to give you two numbers. That's a, that's a big bet. You know, I, I gotta let, I'll let you play. You have to lay pick and then you have to lay one for half of it on each. Oh no, no, we got this. It was always a negotiation with this guy, always fighting with him <laughs> and whatever, you know, usually, you know, Bill McHugh, who was the boss, Bill McHugh, uh, would handle like, you know, almost all the negotiations as far as money. He was always looking to cash a check. He was looking to get a marker. He was doing all this. Bill handled all that, but he let me handle like the negotiations as far as you know what he was going to bet and what point spread, et cetera, et cetera. And I would tell him, I said, man, I gotta show something to Bill. I just can't let you step all over me. I kind of make. I said, still pick and one. I said, they still just have to win the game. You know, that, it's still, you know, it, it's a difference. I understand that, but it's not huge. You know, and so finally I get them to, okay, even when I pick them and one on the game, 100,000 each. And of course he comes back at halftime and bets the other 55,000. He's got 275,000 riding on the game. Yeah, 275 to win 250. You know, so anyway, uh, it, it, it's a great game. Now, I have to tell you this. It's a kind of a mea culpa on my part. I got some of the details wrong in the book. And the game in its entirety, as of about a couple months ago, is posted on YouTube. So I went back and the watched whole game. it. Somebody told me that, but I, I, the whole game. So I went back wow. and watched like the fourth quarter. So I had a couple things wrong. You know, with, you know, listen, I wasn't taking notes at the time. This is 1987. You know, I got a few of the details wrong, but I got the crux of the story right. Anyway, it, you know, the, uh, the, the Vikings were down. They came back, take the lead. Bears come back. And anyway, the, the score is sitting at 24-23 Minnesota with, like, under a minute to play. And right away, I'm thinking, you know what? Well, first of all, I'm going to blow 100000 I think he's going to win his halftime bet, too. So I'm going to blow 150000 I know this guy's going to give me a big pain in the ass because I made him lay the one also. 
almost like I'd rather he just win the two hundred thousand, you know, than than yeah. <laughs> now because he pushed on the one bet, I'm going to have to deal with this, and it's going to be torture. And I was this guy was just he was another guy. I I always kind of liked him, but he could really be difficult to deal with. So anyway, you know, we go, we, you know, I'm watching the game and, uh, you know, Bill comes down to my office and we're watching the game and he's doing the same thing. He says, you know, he says, you made the right bookmaking move, but this is just going to be such a pain in the ass to deal with that. I'm going to hate dealing with it, but you know, whatever, that's what, what it is. And we figure we're going to blow at this point. You know, so, okay. Anyway. So now, um, by the way, the other, the other part of this story, both teams lost their starting quarterback. Now, for the Bears, it was Jim McMahon. For the Vikings, it was Tommy Kramer. Was both good quarterbacks. The backup for the Vikings was Wade Wilson, who was a career backup who was always one of those guys, almost like a George Blanda type, but can't, had a great career as a backup, was never a terrific starter. But he pulled out a, a lot of games out of the fire as a backup. Well, and let me just, let me just interject, Chris, for a second. Wade Wilson was the guy who ended up playing the rest of the season for the Vikings. He was the guy who threw that last pass to Darren uh, Nelson that went incomplete. Daryl Green broke it up at the goal line in the championship game. So, yeah, that was the end of the season. The rest of the way was Wade Wilson. Yeah, so he really was a terrific back. He had a pretty good career. I think Wade Wilson passed away, too, by the way. Um, Anyway. So Tom, Mike Tomzak, an undrafted free agent. He's either a rookie or I think he might have been a second-year man out of, uh, out of Ohio State. Undrafted. He's the backup for, for, uh, for Jim McMahon. But he's playing pretty good. So now, you know, there's under a minute to play. You know, they got to score. You got to get at least a field goal here to, to win the game. And, uh, you know, game's in Minnesota. And Tom Zach leads him down the field, and he hit uh, Gary Gentry, who was a, a converted running back who they were using a wide receiver. Of course, you weren't getting a lot of carries with Walter Payton in the game. You know, so they converted him to wide receiver. He catches the ball in the flat. He breaks one tackle, and it's one of those. I mean, we're watching. You can see he breaks the one tackle. He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> so, he winds up avoiding one other guy, you know, just you know, one-on-one at the goal line. He avoids him, goes into the end zone, scores with about 40 seconds to play. And naturally, you know, the, the, the Bears wind up winning the game, and Ben goes ballistic. <laughs> so he's looking to win, you know, like from winning 150000 he goes to losing 275000 He goes nuts. And uh, now he goes <laughs> – we we have him. He we had his own special room where he was watching the game, and Bill and I are watching it on on you know uh, closed circuit TV. <laughs> he's going nuts. He's you know he, he would smoke like crazy when the you know things were on the line. He's throwing ashtrays. I don't know if he broke the TV or not. He might have, but he's throwing ashtrays. He's going nuts, ripping up papers, throwing. He's trying to. Trying to get a, get a hold of Bill. Bill doesn't want to talk to me. He's trying to avoid. Him. You know, Bill, I, I got to get out of here. I got to. You know, finally, he gets a hold of Bill. He wants. You know, so he blew all his money. He had this cashier's check. It's all gone. He gets Bill to give him a marker. I think for twenty thousand. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what. So he gets Bill. He writes a check. 
to Bill, and he tells Bill, I'm not going to be able you know, don't can't cash it right away. He says, but it'll be good in a couple of days. Takes the 20000 and uh, and he goes and tries to win it playing blackjack. It's <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the story. <laughs> so he has his own blackjack table, and he's playing, like, I don't know how many hands. I'm really not a blackjack guy. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a pick games guy. But I'm watching, and I don't want him to see me, but I'm watching over on the side. But they bring in a guy who was kind of a friend of mine, who was like the calmest dealer you ever saw in your life. And they, they brought this guy in on purpose because they knew Ben couldn't rattle him. Cause he trying to rattle everybody, everybody all the time. So they bring in this guy to deal with him. <laughs> so whatever it was, you know, dealer, dealer has like a, a, you know, an ace up or a face card up. I can't remember what, you know, Ben gets dealt a 14. <laughs> he takes the card, he rips them up and throws them in the dealer's face. <laughs> the dealer just looks over at the pit boss. He says, "New deck." <laughs> at that point, I'm I lost it. I mean, it, to me, it was mess. so funny just the way this guy reacted. Just looks over that new deck. <laughs> new deck. So he winds new up deck. blowing. Yeah, he, he winds up blowing the twenty thousand. Uh, you know, trying to get. You know, he's trying to win a quarter of a million plus. You know, and probably more than oh. that. He's probably looking to win the whole casino at that point. He's just steaming. He's steaming. He blows the twenty thousand. You know, Bill won't give him any more money. You know, that that's enough. You know, he just won't go. So he storms out of there. He leaves. And uh, again, you think that'd be the end of the story? It's not. So the next day. We come in, and actually, we're we're feeling pretty good. You know, we just won a huge bet. You know, that's a lot of money for a little place like Calvary to book and to win. You know, everything else. So we, had, we finish off just a great, great weekend. And all of a sudden, so Bill calls me up. He says, uh, "Ben is trying to Welsh on the cashier's check." Mm. I'm pretty young at the time. I'm 31. I'm mean, a cashier's check. How do you Welsh on a cashier's check? How does that work? Yeah. Bill says, "I don't know." But we have to get our legal team, and you know, and again, I don't want to mention the bank. The bank called us. They're going to stand behind him and try to not pay this check. I said, "Well, that you know, that's that's ridiculous." Now I'm not one of the owners at this point. I'm just you know, I'm just a, a working stiff. But they're keeping me posted, you know. So I mean, they're they're on the plane. We get our legal team. So they have to fly into this guy's hometown where the, where the bank was and everything else. So uh, on on the way there, and like I said, I always said, Calneva was really pretty well connected politically. You'd be very surprised. I mean, I've had you know Harry Reid in my office. I've had Dick Bryan, who was a governor and oh, wow. a senator, in my office. I you know I I got to know Bob Miller, who was a governor. I got to know him reasonably well. Uh, Frankie Del uh, Frankie Sue Del Papa, who was the uh, Attorney General, Secretary of State in Nevada, and ran for governor. Uh, Kenny Gwynn, all you know, I, I got to know those guys all pretty good. It was all through Calneva. They're pretty well connected politically. Anyway, they're on the way to uh, to meet the bankers and meet Ben. He's going to try to welch on the check, and we're going in front of a judge. And on the way there, they're they're calling the bank and saying, "Listen, this is beyond." one check. So this is a cashier's check. You realize what you're doing here. This is like, and I, I, I can't quote the law. I don't know the law, but this is a serious violation of whatever the banking standards are. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, what the statutes are or whatever, but this is a serious violation. And they explained to them, like I said, we had some pretty powerful lawyers. 
So by the time we get in front of the judge, so here the judge calls us forward. I'm not there. I'm just hearing this all from Bill, who loves giving me the play-by-play, by the way, while this is all <laughs> going on. So, you know, we get they get in front of the judge, and here come the bankers. Well, guess what? They come on our side. So Ben's standing there by himself with his own lawyer. And wait a second, the bankers, you were supposed to be on my side. No, 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 no. He explained to them, nah, this is, uh, you really can't do that. And he's, you know, he's stunned. He's stunned. And now the bankers are taking our side, which of course they have to. I mean, it's a cashier's check. You can't Welsh on a cashier's check. You know, so we, we get the money. And so now it's the next day, Tuesday morning. I'm sitting in my office. I'm working on the parlay card. Here comes Bill into my office and knocks on the door. Uh, hey, what, what's up? What are you doing? I'm working on a parlay card. What's up? Uh, we're being sued. Who's being sued? <laughs> Me and you. By who? By Ben. For what? <laughs> Mental cruelty. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's one of those deals. I looked at Bill. And we just both broke up laughing. <laughs> we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> Here we are getting sued. And I mean, we, this was like the coolest SOB you ever met in your life. And like I said, part of me kind of liked the guy, but he was cruel. You could see him in medieval times running a torture chamber and loving every minute of it. He would be one of those kind of guys. He would absolutely be that guy. And we started laughing and by the, we'd stop and look at each other and just start laughing again. I mean, we couldn't stop <laughs> laughing. This guy was doing us for mental cruelty. Anyway, uh, the wind up of the story kind of fizzles from there, but like, we never got called in for depositions. We never had to make a statement. Yeah. At some point, cooler heads prevailed. And I'm sure the lawyer explained them, Ben, you, you cannot win this suit for mental cruelty. This is all yourself. Now the wind up of the story the business he was in, and I don't want to say what kind of business it was. Bill happened to know that this check, you know, what? not Christmas would not be his biggest day. There was another day where, and I don't want to say what it was, where his business does the biggest sales of the year. And Bill held on to that check till after that one day, after that weekend, and deposited that check, that $20,000 check, and that cleared too. And he must have gone nuts at that point. He must have really wow. wanted to do the mental cruelty. Oh, wow. It, 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 Bill got him for the last 20000 <laughs> and, uh, and we would laugh about that one as well. So. Uh, and then, of course, <laughs> I think the best part, you and I agree, is, is the dealer going, new deck, yeah. new deck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back. More stories on the way. Story time with Chrissy Andrews right here on the Numbers Game in Beeson. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Not just Gil Alexander from San Francisco, but Chris Andrews, of course, from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, Talking about his book, Then One Day, 40 Years of Bookmaking in Nevada, available where all books are sold. Um, You know that story, Chris, that you just told, the mental cruelty story? That that's If we had an underrated one through the years, I think that's the underrated one. That was great. That's an awesome yeah. twist and turn story. Um, and it reminds me, and this has nothing to do with anything, so forgive me for even injecting this, but I'm, I'm here in San Francisco. I used to work at KML Radio, for those who, uh, who are from the Bay. I used to work at KML back in the day. And this, would, this did not apply to me, but to two of my coworkers, the late Michael Erickson and, and Rosary, we had a listener who sued us 
not for mental cruelty, but for planting a chip into his brain and brainwashed. Mm. Like, it was just amazing. And, and nothing ever came of it, like in your mental cruelty case, but the fact that lawyers had to spend billable hours on these things, just, just, yeah. it just reminds yeah. me of stuff like that. It's amazing. Um, this is another great one that you haven't told in a while. I, I don't know that I've ever, I think I told it once on the podcast. I didn't put this in my book for a very specific reason. Cause I have a version of this story. Uh, you know, uh, I heisted the story and changed quite a few of the details in my novel, which I'm trying to get published. Uh, a lot mm. of things are on hold right now. But uh, I was kind of moving forward with that before this virus hit, you know, and I'm going to actually reach out to this one person and see if I can get this thing moving again. But I have a novel written, and uh, I think it's pretty good. And I have a version of this story in my novel. So let me just say it. But I think I've only told it once on the podcast or on our show, and it's not in the book. But I will tell it. Okay. This is a couple guys. And you know what? I I didn't use their real names the first time I talked about it. I might as well use them now. The one guy's passed away. And the other guy's a multi, multi millionaire, and he's over ninety years old. I mean, there's nothing they could do, <laughs> and then they really didn't do anything that bad, you know, as far as they were concerned. Anyway, these were two guys that ran junkets into Las Vegas, into the Caribbean, and into London. Now, this is uh, you know uh, early seventies, uh, late sixties, early seventies, and uh, there was. Uh, you know, for guys that don't know, London had a pretty happening casino scene at the time. And, you know, casinos were, uh, you know, really just a burgeoning interest industry in America, you know, with Las Vegas being the primary one. And, uh, but there was other ones throughout, throughout the world, mostly in Europe. So they would run junkets into, into London. And, uh, one of the guys, a couple of the guys that ran, you know, some of the, um, some of the bigger casinos in London, among them were the Cray Brothers. Now, there's a couple movies out. Uh, in 1990, there was a decent movie uh, involving the Crays. Now, the Crays were twins out of London's east side, uh, you know, Cockney Brothers, and uh, they were some pretty rough customers. And you can go Wikipedia them, Crays, K-R-A-Y. So the movie in 1990 was the Crays, and it starred uh, Gary and Martin Kemp, from Spandau Ballet, which was a uh, like a new wow. wave band out of London. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spandau Ballet, not a bad band, you know. And anyway, that that was uh, they they started. They were twins and played the the Cray Twins. Uh, the other movie, which I think is a little better, is called Legend, and it stars Tom Hardy, and Tom plays both brothers. And Tom Hardy, oh, I think, wow. a terrific actor. You know, another another Brit. Yeah. And anyway, the brothers were Reggie and Ronnie Cray, K-R-A-Y. And, uh, I mean, they were definitely mob guys, but socialites, too. Almost like a gaudy, like a John Gotti kind of guy where uh, a mobster of the people, if you will. Because they did actually do some things, like helped a lot of the you know, poor kids <laughs> around, around the East End of London, you know, but... Of course, that doesn't forgive them for some of the other things they did. <laughs> I was going to say, mean, uh, I'm, they I'm sitting here both. laughing because you're like, they're mob guys, but they're socialites, too. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were. They were, yeah. you know, I mean, like, you know, they, they hung out with like Judy Garland, you know, yeah. and George Raft and some other, you know, you know, celebrities of that day and age. And, you know, 
that's the way it was, you know. Anyway, these guys, and I, like I said, I'll use the real name. I'm just captain and tips. And uh, wait, captain, wait, what did you just say? Captain is a captain. Captain, I thought captain, captain two Cap- guys. Captain yeah. is one, and the other guy was tips. I'll just use their nicknames. And they, you know, that's okay. their known as. So the captain. Well, Chris, let me let me just let me just be let me be rude here. Let me be rude and interrupt you because you know this is a short break here. Let's let's continue with this story. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, we should probably. Yeah, oh, no, that's all right. We, we I'm right sorry. Here. Oh no, that's all right. It's a short one. We'll come right back. Uh, we should probably play out uh, Spandau Ballet's "True" out to break here. Um, this is the story about the Cray brothers, Chrissy coming back right here on a numbers game at Visa exclusively, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. We get tweets at Beating the Book. Always appreciate the feedback on Twitter at Beating the Book. Um, And this is from Dan Wood at Wood Dandy. Got to tell you, this show is helping me so much getting through the day. Story time is awesome. Thanks, Gil and Chris. Really, all thanks to Chris. Uh, I thank him as well. Big kahuna. Uh, in these times, listening to you and Chris is a perfect deflection from reality. Thank you both. And uh, T for three. Got me in quarantine, bouncing around, saying, tell Yolanda that. Got a lot of tell Yolanda that uh, <laughs> tweets, Chris, <laughs> from people. Uh, that's just one of many. All right, I'm sorry. We interrupted you again. Back to the Cray brothers there. No, I'm sorry, Gil. I, we're not going to get through all these stories. They just take longer than I thought. That, that's my fault. I had it in my notes that that's a short segment, but we never got through it. Anyway. Anyway, so these guys, so the captain and tips, they go, and they, they got drunkards running into, uh, into London. While they're in London, the Cray brothers say, listen, we got a soccer game going, and it, the fix is in. We got the referee in our pocket, and we got the goaltender in our pocket. So, you know, oh, gee, that sounds pretty good. So, so they're going to bet the game, you know, tips and captain. There. Now, like I said, captain was the kind of guy, I think I got interrupted right at this point. Captain was the kind of guy, if he walked into the room and he's not a big guy or anything like that, but he's like a powerful guy. You know, you see some of those guys every once in a while, not a big guy, but definitely like commands the room sort of. And he's one of those kind of guys. Tips, not at all. This was always kind of like a little bit, very smart guy, but a little bit of like a lost soul. You know, he'd be the kind of guy at the movie asking you, who's that guy? What happened? <laughs> Why did they kill that other guy? You know, he'd be one of those guys. <laughs> and I love tips, but he can drive you crazy a little bit once in a while. Anyway, so, so they're watching the game. Like I said, this, I, I, I think this is early seventies. So, the game's not on TV, but they have a guy at the stadium and uh, let's just make up two teams totally made up. I don't know the teams involved. I think it was probably a second level game. Uh, so, but let's just say, you know, uh, Arsenal and Chelsea. I say they've been on Chelsea and, uh, you know, so they got the, the goaltender in their pocket and the referee. So the game's going on and, uh, yeah, so they need Chelsea. The game's going on. They're getting calls from the pay phone because there's no score phone or anything like that. Oh, you know, nothing, you know, nil, 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 nil. What's the score? Nil, nil, still nil, nil. And then, you know, getting towards late in the game, Arsenal scores. What's the score? Arsenal one, nil. Oh, geez. Arsenal one, nil. It's coming down to the end. Oh man. They're next. Now they need Chelsea to win. You know, it's one of those three-way bets like they have in uh, European soccer. They need Arsenal. They need Chelsea to win. Arsenal one nil. Arsenal one nil. They're in extra time. Arsenal one nil. One nil. The final comes in. 
you know, the, the, the ref can't extend time any more than he has. He gave him as much extra time as he possibly could. And like they said, they got, they never got a shot on goal, even though they had the goaltender in their pocket, they never got a shot on goal. So final comes in arsenal one nil. These guys, you know, they're MF and throwing, they're in a bar, you know, and they're like drinking and, you know, abusing the bartender and throwing glasses around. And, you know, it's pretty obvious what happened. Kip swings <laughs> over to the captain. He says, Captain, how many is nil? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't sure yet if he lost the bet. He didn't know. How many is nil? <laughs> I see the captain maybe like once a year or something like that when he comes to Las Vegas. And all I have to do is say, Captain, how many is nil? And he'll just die laughing because you know, that's one of his favorite stories of all time. You know, so I love it was that. one of those deals where if the craze offered you to make a bet, you better make the bet. I would tell you that. You didn't want to mess with them. I'll do that every once in a while too, Chrissy, but when, when I'm watching and I don't watch soccer that often, but when it comes up, I'll say to somebody, I'll be like, what yeah. is nil? What is nil? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, let me go back yeah. because we have just a, a couple seconds here. Let me go back to the story you told earlier about the Sunday night football game, Psycho James, the great story you told earlier this hour, um, the mental cruelty story. That Sunday night game between the Bears and the Vikings, and again, you know, historically speaking, it has nothing to do with the story specifically, but historically speaking, neither the Vikings nor the Redskins were the one or two seed in the NFC. They both ended up playing that scab year in the NFC Championship. The Redskins went on to win the Super Bowl. Um, but that Sunday night game, which the Vikings ended up losing and mattered much in the standings ultimately um, for that home field, ultimately in the uh, NFC playoffs, what was the detail that you got wrong. And the reason I ask, the, the detail you got wrong in the book is, I think I remember it differently too. And I always find this fascinating how collectively we have a memory, yeah. a shared memory that is not true. You know, I, you know, a lot of people know my wife had a brain tumor and I wound up learning a lot about the brain just as I tried to understand everything I could about it. And it is fascinating how you can have these shared memories that are totally wrong. And yes. I remember the way I remembered it was that the bears had to score a touchdown and they didn't, all they had to do was get a field goal because they were down by one. I thought they were down by four and that's what I got wrong in the game. I thought that they needed mm. to score a touchdown, but uh, you know, that was, I, you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe just Bill and I talking. Really, what what I found out, you know, as I I said, I I, am, I tried to find out a few things about the brain. One of these things that they have, I I don't know if it's a theory or proven or what, but when something happens, you 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 actually don't remember it. You remember the last time you remembered it. So if there's a link in the chain that gets messed up somewhere along the line. That's kind of like, you know, engraved in your brain somewhere. So, you know, that it, it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Now, I don't know if they've proven it. I, I'm not that Lord Manson knowledge of the brain, you know, but, but that was the thing that they said. You, you, you actually don't remember the event as it occurred. You remember the last time you remember it, you know, which uh, I mean, to me is fascinating. Yeah. By the way, yeah. there's a term for this, and I can't come up with what the term for this. Someone will tweet us. There's a there's an actual 
uh, term for what we're describing about a shared memory that is actually incorrect, but has somehow pervaded pop culture in a lot in a lot of cases. This one's not exactly pop culture. My thing about this game is, for some reason, like if you told me it was Gary Gentry, I would have been like, no, it wasn't. It was Dennis McKinnon. Like I just don't remember it being Gary Gentry. So yeah. something yeah. about that game. That, that part that, I got yeah. right. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Someone will hopefully tweet us exactly what the uh, term for that is, because it's an interesting work. In our, the, there it is. Kelly's in my, Kelly Bidlin, uh, my producer uh, today, in, in my ear. The Mandela effect. The Mandela effect, because there's a lot of people, and I believe it traces back to some shared collective memory that Nelson Mandela had passed away in jail. But he never did. But somehow a huge portion of our society thought of him that way. So it's it's something called the Mandela effect. We'll come back. Maybe some adventures in bad bookmaking next. We'll see from Chrissy right here on a numbers game at Vison. Welcome back to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. My producer today, Kelly Bidlin, and I uh, sort of tripping out over this Mandela effect that we were talking about, Chrissy. Um, you know, just an example that that came to mind. I was right. It's called the Mandela effect because for some reason there was a huge swath of of population that believed that Nelson Mandela had died in prison. When in fact, of course, he never did. He got out. He became president uh, of South Africa. There's other things in our pop culture, but just to give another example, I don't know why I thought of this. The old Sally Field Oscar acceptance speech where like the rest of the world, like most people think she said, you like me, you really, really like me. She never said that. Like she never said that at all, but that's how oh, we all remember right. it. In fact, she said, yeah, she said, this wow. time I feel it and I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now you like me. So it just becomes something that it's not. That's just one example that left to mind, but there's tons of these. Um, but anyway, that Bears-Vikings game, I'm sure we have a lot of those in sports. Do you want to end with some adventures in bad bookmaking? You want to do that? Yeah, that other story, we, we'll tell some other time, you know, but uh, yeah, okay. let's do the adventures in bad bookmaking. Uh, the one that I, people ask me about all the time was the hockey teasers. <laughs> so let's start <laughs> with that one. So yes, let's do what that. happened, <laughs> what happened? Um, so I was running the Calneva, uh, and again, we were doing parlay cards year round. And it was one of those things where I, I fought Warren on it. I didn't want to do it. But he insisted that we do it. And so a lot of, you know, a couple other places in town wanted to copy us. But you know, they don't just put out the card. You actually have to have the right numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And it was really a pain. And uh, a guy who really helped me quite a bit out of Roxy's office, Scott Kaminsky, who's just a great – and Scott's had as long a career as I have in this business. And uh, Scott, uh, Scott, like, it's just a, he's had a fantastic career. And he's still around. I'm not sure exactly where he's at right now. But I see Scott about once a year. He comes to Las Vegas. We usually have lunch or dinner together. Terrific guy. Anyway, he would help me. We go through all the numbers, and it was really a chore to put these things together. So, guys wanted me. Uh, so I was doing this at Cal Neva. There was some cross ownership with another hotel casino down uh, just down the street called the Comstock. And like I said, there was some cross ownership, including Warren Nelson owned a little piece of it. He said, "Listen, would you help these guys get their sports book?" up and running and that sort of thing and kind of advise them. You know, sure, I would have done anything for Warren. So I did it. I get them up and running. So they get some guy 
And, you know, we still see this today, uh, you know, Oh, it's a sports book. Well, this guy's a sports fan. He reads the sports page. We'll put him in charge. And then he just gets the line and, you know, people come in and bet and we'll just make a ton of money. It'll be just like the slot machines. Well, you know, obviously it doesn't work that way. So they put this guy in and he was like about as green as you could ever get out of a guy. Nice guy. Uh, I'll call him Lewis. Lewis would come in. And he started calling me like every day, you know, time and time again, calling me, calling me, calling me. And I finally said, listen, Lewis, I'm running the Calneva. I'm not running the Comstock. You, you have to stand on your own two feet at some times, but I'll tell you what to do. Call Roxy Rocks, bro. Roxy was just getting his business off the ground, you know, consulting with uh, sports books around the state. Call Roxy Rocks, bro. He'll help you. Okay. So Roxy calls him. Roxy starts giving him the line every day and all that. He wants to do parlay cars just like we did at Calneva. So Roxy tells him, okay, here's, here's what you do for the parlay cards. You know, and this was like uh, towards the end of the football season. So I'm not sure he had basketball on the card and I might've, but I'm not sure. But Roxy gives him the football line. Here's what to use on the cards. And so Lewis asked him, well, what about teaser cards? And Roxy says, well, you know, he just, you know, moves six points each way off the line. So, you know, he explained it to him and, oh, okay, okay. Now, at that time, if uh, folks my age remember, we had ties in hockey. So if you use the game on the parlay cart as a half, I mean, that was a legitimate line. You know, you don't see that today, naturally, because every game does not end in a tie. But if right. you use the game minus a half, you use like the home team, two equal teams, the home team would be minus a half. So Roxy gives a couple hockey games, like four or five hockey games, put on the card, minus a half. So anyway, card goes out. Roxy's calling him now. It's like uh, the card, I guess, went out like on Wednesday or whatever. Roxy calls him on Thursday. Lewis, how's everything going? Oh, these teaser cards are the greatest thing in the world. Now, right then, Roxy knows teaser cards are not the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. Uh-oh. And Roxy says, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? He goes, I'm getting so much action on these teaser cards, you can't believe it. So right then, Roxy knows, uh-oh, something is wrong. Well, explain to me, you know, where he, he goes, well, you know, he starts giving us money. But here's the ones I'm getting all the action on. I'm getting two-way action on these teaser cards on all these hockey games. This is unbelievable. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You put a hockey games on the teaser card? He says, yeah. I just added six points to each side. <laughs> you get the home team plus five and a half, and you're getting the visiting team plus six and a half. These are all, you know, essentially pick them games. You can't do that. Oh, I've got a ton of action, but I'm getting rocked and getting two-way action. I just, don't you understand? You're going to lose both sides. He says, you have oh. to stop the card. You have to end it right there. So, so he explained it to him. Lewis, I'm, I don't know to this day. Be quite, well, he understood once the figures came in. So, needless to say, they got annihilated that weekend on their parlay cards, on the teaser cards. And uh, the sports book didn't last long after. This. I think it might have closed right after that weekend. They finally realized, no, you just can't put in some rummy and just figure everything's going to be just fine. People are just going to come in and blow their money. But, you know, that was one of those deals where uh, you put in totally a guy who's green as grass, and that's what happened. So, so are, you, uh, are you telling us that we're – even the other, yeah, go ahead. 
I was going to say Dave Koch, and he just he texted me the other day. He asked me, I got to ask, whatever. That was his favorite story in the book was the hockey teasers. Whatever happened to that guy? Well, Dave, he didn't last long. Needless to say, he's not in the business anymore. So when all of this is when all of this is passed, when the coronavirus curve uh, finally uh, peters out, and we're all past this, and sports are being played again. And if hockey comes back, are you suggesting that you will not do a hockey teaser promotion the first weekend? You're not doing that for us? No? Nothing like that? I'm not going to do that, no. And it was yeah. one of those. I, I look every once in a while when I see a blowout. Oh, a team lost by seven. I was like, <laughs> they would have lost one of the teaser. games. Because every game was like three to two that weekend. <laughs> you know, so was... uh, we, have, we have four minutes left. No, I won't be doing that. Morning? Oh, my God. I can't believe we take so much time. I'll tell you another quick one involving Roxy. You know, Roxy, uh, back in the day, this is uh, uh, the Ivy League totals. He didn't tell this story the other day, did he? No, he did not. I love this one. Okay. So Roxy was servicing a guy, this again, back way back in the day. And uh, this was during uh, NBA All-Star Weekend. So it was Friday. And guys don't realize now, like on Fridays back then, all you had was the Ivy League. That's the only teams that played on Friday. So, guy, you know, guy, uh, Roxy was servicing a bookmaker, I think in South Carolina. And, uh, and the guy said, Roxy, I, I want to have totals on these Ivy League games. There's nothing to bet on. I only got four Ivy League games. And Roxy said, I, I don't want to give you totals. They're going to be bad. So, Roxy was finally convinced. Roxy said, All right, I'll give you the totals, but I'm telling you right now, don't take any more than a couple hundred bucks on them. I'm making the totals, and I'm telling you, they're not going to be that good. So, like I said, this is long before the shot clock. <laughs> Not a bunch of white guys shooting set shots, but it wasn't too far removed from that. So that's the way Jackson <laughs> was back then. You know, so, so Rocky gives them the numbers. You know, okay, Cornell, uh, 97, uh, you know, Harvard, 86 and a half, uh, Penn, 92, and uh, Dartmouth. You know, 93. Okay. Our guy writes him down. Okay, this is great. So, you know, Roxy gives him to him in the morning. You know, Roxy calls him in that afternoon. Hey, how's it going? How's those Ivy League toes? Oh, my God. These are so great. It's unbelievable how much action I'm getting. And again, <laughs> Roxy clicks. No, something's wrong here. What? He says, well, tell me. Tell me, like, what, what kind of action you got. And I can't remember the numbers I just made up and gave me. He says, oh, yeah. Well, I'm getting, like, the, the Princeton game under 197. I'm all the way down to under 160 on the, for my I, – I didn't tell you 97. I didn't tell uh. you 197. I told you 97. <laughs> oh I, you're kidding me. I thought it was – I mean, I'm trying to think. Hey, and Roxy's like, you got – have you never paid attention to basketball in your life? This guy's a, a – a, Private bookmaker. <laughs> 97. He's dealing at 197. Well, needless uh, to say, he lost every one of those games, too. I don't know yeah. how he paid everybody off or settled with all these guys. And uh, he was out of business the next week, too. So those are a couple of the stories and adventures in bad bookmaking. We have a lot more that we didn't get to today. And uh, I, you, you know, know what? It always take a little longer than I thought. No, no, no. I mean, that's okay. We love, we love hearing them. I think the next time, whenever we decide to do this again, and, and we could do it, you know, 
short term these days for sure we can do it soon um we should just do the adventures in bad bookmaking to start with and see how long that yeah. goes because i think that's fascinating to people and yeah. you have a special subsection that could be its own category specifically with adventures in bad <laughs> I bookmaking i yes. do yeah yes i do yeah we'll, we'll save that for the next time yeah and and, no, and to this the day Harris edition the hair is yes. they the were special hair for their edition. bad bookmaking <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> uh you know and it's funny to this day chris and it doesn't happen that often, I, but I would say once every four to six months, I'll get a hockey teaser tweet. Like that story lingered in people's oh, really? mind. Yeah, <laughs> I'll still talk about that. Um, I appreciate it. The name of the book again, Then One Day, Adventures in Bad Bookmaking. Chris, stay safe. Don't let me hear that uh, you're back in a casino through a back entrance, okay? No, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while, I can tell you that. All right, man. Have a great day. Stay safe. Again, Chris on Twitter, by the way, at Andrews Sports. The beloved Chrissy Andrews, uh, kind enough to join us for another couple hours right here on a numbers game at Visa and the Sports Betting Network. Hope it serves as a distraction for you in these very strange, uncertain times. Enjoy your day. Stay safe with you and your loved ones. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.